My name is Pastor Andy. It is my pleasure to be here with you this evening, and we're glad that you're here. And, and we do say it all the time around here, and we don't mean it to, as a trivial statement. We don't mean it as any kind of a joke. We don't do it to sound super spiritual, but when we say it's no accident that you're here, we actually believe that because we have story after story uh, of many people in this church. Our prayer teams are incredible, another, another arm of this body of Christ that's on a mission from God. Uh, our prayer team will pray for people, and then people say, yeah, I just got the urge to come to church one day. I was driving by on my way to the mall, and here they are. And so God's on the move, and it is an exciting time to be a part of the church, and we're celebrating that tonight as we dig in. We believe it's no accident you're here at worship as we get started tonight. I also want to remind you, we believe it's no accident uh, that we're in this sermon series right now. And it's not just because we plan this sermon series, but it just seems going into week three of this sermon series on Genesis, right? We're calling it Genesis a binge-worthy Bible series. And I don't know, maybe I'm hungry right now, but that popcorn looks really delicious, right? But it's no accident because as we've been walking through the book of Genesis and getting to know the first family, Adam and Eve, the first parents, as well as their kids, Cain and Abel, and as tonight we pick up the story of of Noah, it just, it just seems like God has so many things to, to talk to us about. About this idea, you know, when it comes to life, we get these opportunities to, to make these decisions and to figure out, are we going to kind of the people, are we going to be the kind of people who will follow God, who will take God at his word, or are we going to do our own thing? Are we going to be a part of this larger story that God wants us to live, or are we going to experience something so much Different. We've been digging into this story and looking through this. And as I said, we, uh, two weeks ago, uh, we, we talked about Adam and Eve. And we talked about the fact that they broke bad. And so we used, we've been pairing each one of these Genesis stories with a, a, a binge-worthy TV show on, uh, on Netflix or Hulu or whatever it is. And so we talked about Breaking Bad a couple weeks ago. Never thought we'd have that conversation in a church or show a video clip from that show. Last week was Arrested Development as we talked about Cain uh, and Abel. And I don't know if you've noticed anything, if you've read the book of Genesis before, the very first book of the Bible, right? But every once in a while, I'll read a little bit of scripture, and I kind of feel better about my life and, and my family. And Genesis is one of those, those, uh, those books that makes you feel this way. Because this peop these people, God's, God's first family, the, the place where all of this began, I mean, they, these are the kind of people, and you'll see as we go on, it gets even more interesting. They're the kind of people that put the fun in dysfunction, Right? They, they just seem to make some decisions that are interesting. And as we've watched Adam and Eve, and Adam passes the buck to Eve, he blames Eve for his own transgressions. And then you have their kids, Cain, killing Abel, right? I mean, you, you look at this and you think, how could it get any worse? And believe it or not, in Genesis chapter 6, by the time we pick up this story here tonight, we realize that things have gotten worse in fact, as I was opening my Bible looking at it this week, just the heading over this passage of Scripture, if you've ever seen that, says it all to me. It says it's a world gone wrong. That's the way they, they titled the introduction to the story of Noah and, and the ark. And so we just want to get right into this tonight. So let's take a look at this as we begin to understand this world gone wrong. How wrong is it and how broken is it? Well, let's take a look. Genesis 6, verse 1. And then the people began to multiply on the earth. So it's picking up the story and continuing it on. And daughters were uh, born to them, talking about the first family. And the sons of God saw the beautiful women, and they took as, as any they wanted as their wives. And the Lord said, and this is his response, just getting to know these new people that he has created, my spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time. They are only mortal flesh, and in the future their normal lifespan will be more than 120 years. So you kind of get a vibe looking at that right there, like, oh, things are kind of getting interesting already. I mean, it's, it's already been an interesting book up until this point, but things are just continuing to slide. 
Eventually, it comes to verse 5. The Lord observed the extent of the human wickedness on earth. Right? He's looking around. His eyes are searching to and fro. And this is, this is what his observation is. The extent of the human wickedness on the earth, as he's looking around, he saw that everything they thought, everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. I mean, what, what the author of Genesis here wants us to understand, right? It was, it was, to put it in a super spiritual, deeply theological terms, like it's not good, right? There's something going on here, and it is not good. And so the very next verse, Genesis 6, verse 6, is a shocking statement to me, right? If you remember Genesis chapter 1, if you've ever read that, and, you know, God creates the earth and the seas and the stars and the sky, and everything's good, and he, he, he crowned the crown jewel of his creation is humanity, and, and so he does that, and you know, all these other days he's, have ended where he says, oh, my work has been good. He creates humanity. He says, oh, my, my work here is very good. And only six chapters later, we find ourselves reading this verse. Chapter 6, verse 6. The Lord was sorry that he had ever made them and that he had put them on the earth. It broke his heart. Right? You look at this, things have come so far from Genesis chapter 1. I mean, this beautiful picture, this mosaic that was once orderly and peaceful and, and thriving is now filled with devastation and with brokenness, right? And we experience this to some degree still today. I mean, the reality is that the world is filled with chaos, and there are two kinds of chaos out there, right? There's the good kind of chaos, the kind that surprises you. Now, I don't know if we have any Vikings fans here tonight or not, but I feel like I experienced a little chaos when it came to watching football. Of course, we don't have any Vikings fans this service. It occurred to me about a half hour ago, right? They're all at home getting ready to watch the game right now. We probably have the Saints fans here. If that's you, we've got prayer and pastoral counseling available. We'll we'll do what we can to support you, right? But did you see this football game last weekend? My wife and I were trying to get home from vacation. We were at the airport in Chicago. We landed and turned on our phones. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's only two minutes. And we had to go through security and all this stuff again, get our bags and all this stuff. And at one point, I literally had a TSA agent come to me and say, sir, you need to put down your phone to be able to walk through the metal detector, right? Because I'm like watching the clock tick down and thinking, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? This is, I don't even like the Vikings. This is what happens when you marry a Minnesotan, all right? And so we're going through and we're watching this game and we finally get to our gate and I'm walking down the concourse and there's screen after screen after screen of this game. I mean, everybody's changed the channel from CNN, which is always on in the airport for some reason. And they're watching this game and we got to see like the last 30 seconds of the game, which apparently was all I needed to see. I mean, it was just this back and forth. And when, when the touchdown, the winning touchdown was scored, I've never seen so many strangers lovingly embrace each other in a public place. I mean, it was incredible, right? And it was incredible because I don't think anybody expected I mean, it was the last second of the game. And sometimes we have these moments in our life, right, where, where we have this chaos and this unexpected blessing or this good fortune, whatever it is, comes to us and we experience this. And it, and it can be the highest of highs, Right? And so we've seen this side of life. I'm guessing in some way we can relate to that. But the reality is, right, as human beings living in this broken world, not only do we experience the highest of highs, but it's sometimes in the very same day, sometimes in the very same hour, we can experience the lowest of lows. Because there's not, remember I said, there's two kinds of chaos. There's this good kind of chaos. And then there's the stuff that we just don't understand the kind of stuff that just sends shock waves, 
through our system. I, I, got a, I was on Instagram this week and one of my uh, friends uh, posted this picture. It's, a, it's an emergency uh, alert. It, it looks like it's on an iPhone or something, but she, she posted this. This is a screenshot of, of uh, a, a text message that she got from her sister who happens to live in Hawaii last week. And, and her sister, who happens to work in, live in Hawaii and works at a, a NICU uh, at a hospital, uh, said she was at work and she got this alert on her phone. And so she took a screenshot of it and she texted it to her, her sister and her brother and her parents. And this is what she said, right? I mean, as, as she's reading this, as she's going through, as these shockwaves are beginning to enter her mind, right? Uh, she's writing here what quite possibly in her mind at the time as this whole thing, right? Ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii, right? Seek immediate shelter. I mean, how haunting is it to get a text message Right, this alert on your phone, and it just says these last five words. This is not a drill. Right? I mean, what would you do in that scenario? She she gets this uh, alert on her phone. She texts her family, and so my friend here in town, right? She just reads this, and and note the communication. Right? When we feel like we're on the edge of chaos, when we feel like uh, the life is just out of control, and we don't know which way is up. Right? We tend to communicate if it if it's really urgent and really important. We tend to to communicate our highest priorities with with the greatest of efficiency. Right? What does she start? She says, "I love you." Bomb threat to Hawaii. I'm at work. Kids are with James. Right? And so my friend Mimi is reading this text this last week, and I, and I talked to her, and, and she said it was just in an instant. It was in an instant. She was sitting at home, and she was watching TV and just kind of hanging out, and, and within an instant, right, her world was just completely, she's thrown into this anxiety and this stress, this, this chaos that can just show up in our lives. I mean, the reality is, right, that we live in a world that's in chaos, it's got the good side to it, but certainly there are these challenges as well. And it's not just my friend Mimi. We did a funeral here the other day for a, a gentleman that's just 10 years older than me. Mid-40s. Four kids. Ten and under. Gone. And maybe, maybe it's just me, but it just seems like we just continue to hear these stories, right? And what happens when this chaos enters our lives, right? We, be, we begin to ask these questions. God, where are you? God, what, what are you up to right now? Where, where were you? What's, what's this all about? And this chaos, it can begin to have this effect on us, right? I mean, we can begin to find ourselves not knowing which way is up, questioning even perhaps where God was at, the goodness of God. Can, can we trust him? It might even leave us feeling lost, which brings us to our show for this week, the binge-worthy show that has captivated numerous people. I had no idea. As I revisited Lost, I hadn't watched it in a while. It was a while, but it's, it's been years. I mean, it's, that show started 13 years ago. And to this day, we were just talking about it in some meetings this week, and people are like, oh, you know, everybody has an opinion about the ending and the controversy and trying to follow the plot, and what is the deal with that smoke monster, all these different things. Right? But this reality is that this show has impacted people. And it, it seems really like it struck a chord with people, not just because it's fantastic storytelling, but I think because it's willing to take on some of these hard questions of life, spiritual questions, 
right? What happens when we die? What is, what is our reality? Why do we exist? What, what is this life really all about? What are the most important things? And if you haven't seen the show, let me just bring you up to speed. I mean, in one hand, right, I kind of thought it was like Gilligan's Island 2.0. Looking at, I mean, you can't really tell much on this particular picture of the cast, right? But you've got an island here, you've got the ocean out there, you've got this group of people, and, and really what it's a story about is Oceanic Flight 815. It's headed from Sydney to LA, and it has a crash, and they think as they hit turbulence, at least what they believe at the time to be turbulence, the plot takes a twist and a turn, it crashes on this island. And so you have this large group, I think 30 people or something, Right, survived on this island. They're thrust into this chaos of trying to figure out to navigate these challenges. They're trying to figure out their survival, trying to figure out what they need to do to stay alive. And it's not just the island that's the challenge, right? It's the people that get in the way to this. I could go on and on telling you about this show. It's, it's deeply spiritual. I mean, 23 times in the first three service, the seasons, the Bible gets quoted. It's, it's resonated with people. But part of the appeal, too, is you just wonder, right? What would it look like? What would I be like if I were in this scenario where I suddenly found myself, right? It's interesting when you fly in an airplane, right? You're like literally less than like an inch and a half from somebody you probably don't know, and you would never talk to them, right? Have these social conversations. Well, what would that be like to be thrown into this survival environment to get to know all these people, their strengths and their weaknesses and all of this? I could go on and on about it, but I wanted to give you an opportunity, especially to meet the leader, the leader that emerges, Jack Shepard. As you watch this, think about what would it look like for you to be thrown into an island with a bunch of people you don't know? Let's take a look. Obviously, it's chaos, right? And they're trying to work out their differences and understand and respond to what's happening around them, trying to learn as they go. They're in chaos. And not only are they in chaos, but they're hungry, right? They're hungry for more. They're hungry to be rescued, but as you get to know this series and you dig into it a little bit more, you begin to understand there's, there's more that they're hungry for. It's not just to be rescued off this island, but each of these characters, for some reason, and the show even spends a little bit of time talking about how this has all been orchestrated. This plot gets really complex really fast. But it's interesting that almost every single character on this flight, and especially the survivors, they're coming from a place of desperation they're hungry for more. They're hungry not just for life, but redemption. In fact, many of these characters, they're leaving behind a past. They wouldn't mind staying on the island because their things are so much better for them here in some ways. Uh, this is Kate, uh, who uh, is, is uh, accused of killing her father, and she's being taken uh, back to, to be arrested. And so she's looking at this island. She's trying to figure out how to escape from her past. Just as John Locke over here, another important character in the show, who finds himself bound in a wheelchair because he's been betrayed and there's an accident. And he crashes on this island and he wakes up all of a sudden and, and he's got the ability to move his toes and to walk, right? Sawyer, a, a con artist, uh, Hurley, who's been uh, the, responsible for multiple deaths by accidents. Again, he's wondering if he's cursed. You have, you have all these different people that have come together and they're hungry for so much more. They find themselves hungry for redemption, which gets me to ask this question, what about you? these days, right? When you think about the way that you are, I mean, you think about this world and the chaos that we can encounter that can leave us feeling lost, questioning our hope, right? Is there anything that's out there worth living for, that's worth pursuing, the kind of disorientation, right, that gets us to question everything? This, this idea that we, there is something more, that, that, that God has a plan, that He is on our side, 
right? What is it that you're looking for these days? Would you ever find yourself using a word lost to describe yourself? Well, this group on this island is looking for redemption. And it turns out in Genesis, it couldn't be more opposite. I mean, God's creation, all these people, they, they, they're not interested in redemption because they've gone rogue. They've decided they don't want anything to do with God. And so God decides it's time to hit the reset button on this whole project of humanity. I mean, listen to what this says in, in uh, Genesis chapter 6. Uh, this is God's reaction to what's going on here. He says, I will wipe this human race that I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing. Think about that statement for a second. Right? I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals, even the birds of the sky. God, the God of the universe who created us in his image, looks at all that he's done and where things have gone the last six chapters of Genesis, and he says, I am sorry that I've ever made them. This group of people, they're fine on their own, and so they think. They've left God in the rearview mirror. And, and, and so people get confused about this story, right? I mean, when you think about this, this idea of Noah and the ark and all this stuff that's going to take place in Genesis 6, 7, and 8, right? People have a lot of questions, and rightly so. And as I've wrestled with this in, in my own life and tried to come to terms with this, one of the things that I, I am convinced of, and I haven't just seen it in the Scriptures, right? But I've seen it in the Scriptures and confirmed in real life. God is good. Why else would He send Jesus Christ to rescue us? Right? If this is where God is going with these people, then, then rather than, than put this on God and say, why is God being such a jerk, to put it nicely, could it be that humanity was this broken? One commentator I read this week said, actually Noah and the flood is actually an act of God's grace. And I do see God's grace all over this. But what, what he talked about was this idea that if humanity's already hell-bent, right? and I use that word intentionally, on destroying itself, well, maybe the act of grace was to allow them to avoid the pain of going all the way there. This is a challenging story. If nothing else, let me be clear tonight. This is, this is not a children's story, right? This is not a children's story. I, I was looking at some artwork this week as I was thinking about this as well, and this picture gripped me this week. I mean, when you say it's one thing, right, and we, in, in our nurseries, in our Sunday school rooms or whatever, churches will do this. They'll put Noah, I think it's the animals. I think everybody loves the animals, the nice, cute, uh, cuddly animals or whatever, right? But this is, this is rated R, this story here, right? And don't, don't look at it from the perspective of Noah and the animals, but look at it from the perspective. I think that's why this painting grabbed me so much this week. Look at the perspective of the people that were the last to be living on the planet besides Noah and his family and all the animals, I mean, one painting I looked at this week had a couple people and it had a tiger, right? What if it wasn't even a human that was the last person left? I mean, this story is not a children's story. It's not for the faint of heart. But I think what's important is, look at this, if you've ever wondered, is God serious about sin, right? Is God holy and, and does, has he created us to live in relationship with him so we can thrive, right? I mean, God means business of this. If things have gotten so bad that this is the only alternative that he has left, then you got to think, man, things have gotten pretty bad. This, this is so not a children's story. And so when this happens and we look into this, right, we begin to look at these questions. God, why would you do this? And I, I have a children's book in my kid's library at home. I started reading one day. It was about knowing the ark. And, and it just had this sentence on like the second page. It said, God wanted to punish the people. And I thought, I don't know that that's right. 
as I look at this, as I think about the fact that God is a good, good father who loves his kids, is created in his image. I think he wants so much more for us, but he also loves enough to us to give us what we want in some ways, even if that means turning our back on him. When God looks around the world in Genesis 6, he sees a disaster. He sees a disastrous world filled with disastrous people except for one person, and that's Noah. Noah and his family. Verse 9, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah is a righteous man. His, his name in Hebrew means relief or rest, meaning even his father saw something in him and wanted to name him this idea that he would be an agent of restoration, redemption of some sort. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. God sees him and gives him this invitation, right? The invitation of all invitations to build, uh, to build an ark twice the size of a 747. I mean, this thing's huge, right? This isn't go down to Home Depot and get the supplies to do this. No, it's, it's bigger than that. Noah gets this invitation from God, and eventually he gets to this place, right, where he's left asking this question. Every single one of us at one point or another in our lives are going to have to ask, do I trust God? Can you trust God? Can I trust him? And this is tough to answer in normal circumstances when everything's great, right? Let alone in this situation. Yet Hebrews 11 says it like this, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we can't see, and it's impossible to please God without faith, he says. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists, and he, resort, he, res, he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Right? Faith is a part of this, this, this relationship with God. Paul says it like this, right? We walk by faith, but not by sight. But there's this tension, right, between our intellect and this rational thinking and reason and even science and faith. And it needs to be reconciled. So much of the world would say you've got to have one or the other. And we, biblically speaking as a church, we'd say no science and faith, right? Reason and faith, those things can come together. It doesn't have to be either or, right? With one, you get the who and the how. The other one gives you the why. And when you look at those, there's something more to this story. And I, this jumps out at me as you look at Lost, as you look at this story, this, this, this conversation, this idea, are you going to be a person of faith or are you going to be a person of reason? It's, it's a both and. But the question is, right, if it's this tug of war every day of our lives, are we going to trust God or are we going to trust ourselves? Right? Because in both of these, you can have faith in both of these things. The question is, is it faith in yourself, in the people around you, or is it faith in the God of the universe? And one of the characters on the show that represents this conversation more than anybody else, it's Jack, who's a doctor, who's been trained as a physician, who knows his brain well. He trusts it. He trusts himself. He trusts his ability to think. And then you've got John Locke, the man who, as he's climbing out of the airplane, realizes that he doesn't even need his wheelchair to get around anymore. He's been given a new life. In fact, I would say he's a believer. He's experienced this miracle. And as both of these guys have this conversation, as they wrestle with, this is a theme throughout the show, it gets all of us thinking about it. Which one are we? How do we set those up these days? Are we people, right, when times get tough, when things get hard, do we go to ourselves, to the people around us? We go to the universe, the God of the universe. As you watch this, think about where that sits with you tonight. Let's take a look. 
So this theme carries throughout the show. I mean, there's this tension, this back and forth between man of science and the man of faith. Two men, two ways of looking at the world. And Jack goes with what he can see. Locke, though, Locke is caught onto something bigger, right? He uses that word destiny to talk about what he's going, what he's admitting there when he says that is, I, I think there's a reason. I think there's a plan that's in the works, right? There's a reason why we're here. There's something bigger that's going on. He's been swept up into this larger story, and he doesn't even know what the story is. Well, Noah, in Genesis, it ends up being the exact same way as God puts this question to him, right? Can you trust me, right? As he's, as he's left with this invitation to build this boat, he's wrestling with this decision. And all, all we know is that as he gets into it, he votes yes. He votes that the answer to that question, is God trustworthy? He votes it as yes. Chapter 7, verse 22, Noah did everything as God had commanded him. And here's the thing that gets me about this story, right? Sometimes when we think about living by faith or, or our faith and living that out, sometimes you think, okay, it's just like a one-time decision, right? I mean, I mean, Noah just had to decide to build the boat and it was good, right? I mean, it, do you understand how big this boat is and what the technology Noah had at the time? I mean, scholars would estimate it took between 20 and 40 years to construct this ark, right? So when we talk about Noah as, as, a, as an example of living by faith and about taking these risks and, and pushing against the, the consequences and, and the, the forces to be pushing against him, I mean, this is, this is significant. I mean, this is incredible, right? It's not just once, but it's day after day after day after day for years, he has to re-ask this question. Don't you think the doubt's probably crept in at some point? It's got to be about the same as being stuck on an island. When, are we ever going to be rescued? And I got to believe Noah felt incredible challenges, right? What about the neighbors? What, a, what do you think happened as the word began to spread that he was building this boat? What about the emotional impact of talking to all these people throughout your day and knowing they're probably not going to be around? I mean, this is huge. And this is challenging. Every day Noah pours himself out to God in faith by using his gifts to build. Every day God shows up. Every day God and his grace show up. I mean, grace is all over this story. God was ready to wipe out everybody. And then he happened to see Noah and he chose Noah. Noah wasn't perfect. He just was dialed into what God was saying and, and did his best. Right? He was chosen. And not only that, but God gave him the tools. I mean, God gave him the instructions and the measurements of how much lumber he's going to need, how big the ark should be. God paved the way. He plowed the driveway for him to be able to live this out, right? For, for 20 years, Noah keeps reminding himself of God's grace. He keeps plugging along, right? And what does that look like for us, wherever we are these days? What does that look like for us to live by faith? What does this look like? Noah votes yes with his life, and he, he votes with his actions. He votes with his Faith, he lives this stuff out, and God delivers on the promise. The rains come down. God, God even helped him shut the door. The text goes out of its way to say God even closed the latch, right? God's all over this, and its grace abounds even despite the challenges of the story. And Noah understands this. He understands that all of this was a gift. When he gets off the boat later, first thing he does, builds an altar. He worships God. Because God showed up. So most of us here tonight, we probably have heard this story, right? I mean, we've looked at, at Noah and the ark, and we've, and we've wrestled with this, and we've heard it told different ways, read books, whatever it is, right? But the question tonight is, what is the point? 
Like, what, what do we make of all this? What is it that we do with this? And, and as I've been wrestling with this this week, right, how do you preach on something that everybody's heard a hundred times and thought about, right? Here's what it comes down to for me. Here's the reality and here's the power of this story tucked in the middle of Genesis. God showed up for Noah. God showed up. He showed up then and he shows up for every single one of us today in God, in the midst of God's presence, in the, in the delight of God's power, in the midst of his gospel. You and I, we have every single thing that we need to be able to, to be faithful, to live out our mission for him, to live out this dream that God has, this larger story that he wants to write into our life. And yet it's so hard to remember. I, I love the way that Jesus puts it in the Sermon on the Mount. He, he's talking to his disciples. He says, do not worry about your life. Like it's, like it's just this simple little thing. Right? Don't worry about your life. It's so easy to read or to say. But it's so hard to work out in real life. Right? And again, we're back to the Vikings fans. I don't care how committed you are to the Vikings. When there's 10 seconds or 4 seconds and you've got 60 yards to go, Right? And somebody's chucking a Hail Mary well short of the end zone. I'd be willing to believe nearly 100%. Even the most devoted fans at some point said, oh, I think it's over. I mean, I was ready to like walk down to the next gate uh, to go get a bite to eat. I thought, this game is over. But then God shows up in our lives, right, when we say that. I mean, if the Vikings can score a touchdown with no seconds left on the clock... What on earth does God want to do in our lives? Because here's the reality. It's hard to hold on to hope. It's hard to live by faith to do all this. But this is the reality. Hope is what we have. I love what 1 Peter says. 1 Peter 1 uh, has this to say. Let's read these words together on the screen tonight. Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope, right? I love that phrase, living hope, not, not just a hope that exists. No, what is hope? Hope is the audacious belief that the best is yet to come, that the story isn't over, that God will find a way, that God will make a way to turn things around, that, that this is not the way that things have to be, right? He's given us this. He's, he's done this. And if you ever found yourself in this life saying, man, I feel lost, I'm wondering which way is up. I'm wondering what I'm supposed to do next. I wonder how on earth am I going to make it through whatever it is that you're up against. I would encourage you to go back to John 14. John 14, God has given us everything that we need. In John 14, Jesus talks about the fact that your heavenly Father is going to send the Holy Spirit, an advocate, he calls it. The advocate who's on your side, who's on your team. Even when you can't keep going, he can Verse 18 of John 14, no, I will not abandon you as orphans, Jesus says, knowing that he's headed to the cross. He says, I will come to you, and that's exactly what happened. It's why we can live the way Paul talks about in Romans 5, right? We can endure these problems, these trials, right, because they develop endurance, endurance character. Character strengthens our hope, and hope doesn't lead to disappointment. Because God's here. What happens in this midst of this grace when God shows up in our lives and strengthens our faith? Maybe it's through the people around us. Maybe through it's reading his word. Maybe it's worshiping here with, with your church family. Whatever it is, when God shows up, he sets us free to live by faith. Noah made the Hall of Fame. I don't know if you've ever read Hebrews 11, but it's called the Faith Hall of Fame. 
right? It's, it's these top stories, these incredible things that God did because people believed. Noah made this because he saw something that nobody else did, because he dared to believe God at his work. And make no mistake about it tonight, faith is a powerful force. Throughout this show on Lost, you've got this tension between these two characters, John Locke, right, and Jack. You've got the doctor and, and the guy who believes in miracles, and you've got this seesaw effect, this tension, this, this tug of war that goes back and forth. And eventually over time, it begins to go to work on Jack. And it's not just the things that John Locke keeps saying to him, but it's, it's the events that happen. It's the things that he sees. And it, uh, maybe it's just the fact that he's living a different pace of life and he can slow down and take in what his heart is saying to him. But he begins to realize, oh, maybe there is a bigger destiny than he's begun to understand. And it's interesting. I mean, this is why this show resonates with people, I think, is because they continue to wrestle with and engage these questions that people have been asking for centuries. What is this all about? So much so that as the show comes to a close, Jack himself finds himself in the Christ-like role, laying down his life so that everybody else can escape on an airplane that's just landed on the island. And it looks strangely familiar as he does this. His side has been pierced in a fight. He, he has a, a ceremonial, a communion-like glass of water with one of his closest friends. He ends up dying in the midst of the reeds as the flight flies overhead. Because he's realized maybe there is a bigger destiny. Maybe the pain of the past is there, this island has not been easy, but he's wondering maybe it's been worth it. Faith changes his life, even as his comes to an end. And as he transitions to this next realm of life, the, the characters on the show end, find themselves in this church-like place. It's the beginning. It's like a halfway to the afterlife. And as he's there, he runs into somebody he's known for years, but who's been dead for a while. And as the moment begins, the reality begins to sink in that maybe he's moved on. Maybe this faith thing is becoming more and more real. It has a dramatic impact. And as his dad talks to him, he's got an important message for him as well. Let's take a look. It's not what you expect at the end of the story. I mean, after being trapped in this island for years, that when he sees his dad for the first time in years... He would say it's the most important time of your life is spent on this island, but it is. Because it's on this struggle and it's through these challenges that Jack has become this kind of person who isn't just oriented around himself, trusting in himself anymore, but has moved to this point of understanding this bigger destiny, this bigger story. And as this continues, we're reminded of ourselves, right? What is it that God's calling us to? What is it that if we have this hope now, why does it exist and what is it moving towards? What is it for? Right? Noah trusted God. But I'm guessing even he needed reminders within those 20 to 40 years it took him to build the ark. We can't do this alone. I mean, it's, it's a powerful scene at the end of the movie. And as Jack discovers all of this for himself, that this, this life of faith, this faith that's built on hope and that's rooted in something much deeper than just himself, I think he begins to agree because what, what happens in this story isn't just that this group gets rescued from this island, but as their stories come to an end, they find themselves moving from doubt to faith 
to eternal life. It's almost as if they've been lost, and as it comes to a close, they're found. As you watch this final scene, as they finally step into their destiny, as they, this story comes to a close, as he's reunited with all of his friends that he's lost over the years on this island, I, I want you to be thinking about the hope that you have. I want you to be thinking about what it is what it is, what it'll be like someday for your hope and your faith, not just to be something that you, that you yearn for and that you trust in, but it's something that's real, that's tangible, that it's been fulfilled. When, when you get to sit down with God face to face, what is it, whatever you're going through, what is it that can anchor you to keep moving through it? As you watch this, think about the hope that you have and what does it look like to hold on to hope? Let's take a look. God's story is alive and well. And the challenge remains, right? The chaos continues in this world that we live in. So we're left asking this question, what does it look like to hold on to hope? Hebrews talks about this. It says, let us run this race with perseverance, this challenge. The challenges are coming at us. But it's this promise of eternity, right? This reality that there's more out there. That we have this God in our midst who makes a way no matter how big the challenges are. We have this reality to root us and to guide us as we go. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to stand tonight. As we're going to close tonight, we want to worship this God who makes a way. We want to, we want to spend time with the God of this universe, right? Allowing him to remind us of the hope that we have, this living hope. That he has the power to overcome death and the grave. And if that's true, then certainly he has the power to help us in whatever scenario we find ourselves in. The question is, will we be people of faith?